Our second scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 and 23. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth, made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Gordon, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow, shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. We checked it earlier. I must have yanked it. <laughs> anyway, as I was saying, it's so nice to be here this morning. I know many of you, and I've done many other things here, but this is actually my first time preaching with you. So we are in the um, season of Epiphany, which comes after Christmas, which is the season of light, and also the season of bringing the gospel to the outside world or the Gentile world. So our passage starts out a bit ominously as Jesus has just been tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. And now the revelation that John is in prison becomes his wake-up call to the reality of the times. John the Baptist's imprisonment sing, sing, signals a dangerous situation for Jesus, and he needs more intentional time for himself to listen and respond to God's call, to wrestle with the implications of John the Baptist's arrest, his responses and learning from his wilderness temptations, and all that he has internalized in his lifelong preparation for this new test of ministry. 
Welcome home after a vacation or a retreat. <laughs> Matthew shows both his listeners and us today that when Jesus' ministry is threatened, he tends to withdraw from the threat to a place of relative safety or at least a place that is familiar and known. Jesus chooses to go back to his own place, the same territory he grew up in, not in Nazareth, but 30 miles away in Capernaum, to what might be considered the backwaters of Israel. In that time, such a move would have been considered unusual as people rarely moved far from their home, except during exile. And Matthew, in fact, has the reference of exile in his mind as he not only has an interest in framing fulfillment of the Hebrew scriptures in light of the life of Jesus, thus showing that Jesus' ministry is aligned with God's purpose as it is revealed in the scriptures, Isaiah, as Royce read today, but he also knows that Jesus does not withdraw to Galilee. He goes back to a place of empire, to the territory of the same Herod who has just arrested John. The mention of Zebulun and Naphtali, the two most northern tribes of Israel that have been conquered and deported in the Assyrian evasion over 700 years ago, were, as the same Galilee recalled, a hotbed of resentment and resistance towards both the religious and political powers that have subject, subjected these areas for hundreds of years. Capernaum, indeed all of Israel, is now occupied by a foreign power. This is a confrontation and not a withdrawal. Jesus goes back not to put some distance between himself and Herod, but to be near Herod's wrath. He is challenging the Roman domination system that has institutionalized injustice through religion, that promoted a cycle of war, victory, and peace, but because it was never a true and lasting peace, the cycle continued and does down through today. Jesus' own call was to be the light-bearer of a whole new system, the kingdom of heaven, he called it, that through religion pro promoted nonviolence, justice, and a peace that lasted because the marginalized and the oppressed were set free. Matthew uses a scripture text from the prophet Isaiah that looked forward to the birth of a king who would lift the yoke of oppression and bring freedom to their captivity. This oppression was described as a great darkness, which was of human creation, not God's. The darkness had to do with the power and might of the military occupation and enmity between people in the Roman domination system. The particular form of darkness the people of Israel were used to living under was oppression. And Matthew sees this new king as Jesus, and the freedom from oppression the people sought and prayed for, he described as a great, glorious light. Jesus came to offer this light, a light that dispels the fear of darkness. 
Jesus is the light who would bring justice to set right the injustice. Jesus was also the light of love that would demonstrate this power through acts of teaching, preaching, healing, forgiveness, and the support of belonging to a community. Jesus comes to Galilee as the light, sharing the good news by preaching a message of repentance, of turning back to God so that the light that was the kingdom of heaven might penetrate and empower people's lives. Jesus' light is manifest among his followers, for the way of receiving this light was through repentance. To repent is to turn around, change direction, change your behavior, and change your life. To repent is to change the orientation of one's entire life towards life and love, allowing the light of God to come in, empowered by the Spirit and enabled by the power of the resurrection. The term kingdom of heaven, an umbrella term for the entire mission of Jesus, is in itself subversive, since at the time there was only one empire, the Roman one, and it wasn't the kingdom of heaven. Jesus doesn't take this task by himself. The oppression that so many undoubtedly felt must have held a certain appeal, for when Jesus offers the invitation, follow me, both sets of brothers in the passage, Andrew and Simon and James and John, respond immediately. They didn't ask questions. They didn't check Jesus' references, nor did Jesus check theirs. Their response is immediate, more of an intuitive than reflexive response, as there is something about the call, the caller and the call that evokes an immediate response. The consequences of yet have not been disclosed. It is in that moment when the call from without corresponds with the longing from within. The place God calls you to is the place where your deepest gladness and the world's hunger meets, as Frederick Buechner so famously stated. As such, it is trust at the onset of a journey, rather than a conclusion of sorts. Jesus calls people as they are, from where they are, being who they are. He asks them and us to accompany, learn from, bond with, respond to, be loyal to, imitate, belong, and abide in him. It's about identity, relationship, and belonging. It's about going back home to your place of belonging, even if uncertainty, danger, and confrontation await you there. It's about belonging with Jesus, with others, and with all various people they will meet over the years and indeed the rest of their lives. For God's call isn't simply to do something, but rather to be something, a perfectly imperfect beloved child of God and a light bearer of a new way of being in the world for all of humanity. 
And this is true for us as well. We are called to follow and find the place where gladness and hunger meet. Following Jesus requires not just an ascent of the heart, but a fundamental reordering of socio-political economic relationships. In the kingdom of heaven, the personal and the political are inseparable. Follow me is an invitation to belong as one of God's beloved children to Jesus' radical new community in faith, with hope, secure of God's promises of abundant grace. The church as well is called to follow Jesus as a committed agent of reordering socio-political economic relationships in every time, including and especially now. For too long, the church has missed what is going on outside the doors and in its neighborhood as our culture has slowly shifted from a Christocentric culture in which the church was accepted as part of the culture to one of secularism where the church is outside the culture. This is not new. This is how the early church began, and there are scholars who are identifying these shifts in ways that will help the church now become empowered to help people find what they are looking for. Diana Butler Bass, in her book Christianity After Religion, identifies three dimensions of religion, believing, behaving, and belonging, that Western Christianity adopted around the time of the Reformation, thereby ordering faith in a particular way. What do I believe? How should I act? Who am I? Belief questions prompted a re-examination of behavior. And as actions change, a person is either accepted to belong to the group they were identified with, or rejected for ceasing to act according to prescribed norms. But this hasn't always been the case. In fact, Jesus did not begin with questions of belief. Instead, his public ministry started when he formed a community asking people to come and see and follow him. It began with an invitation into friendship, into creating a new community, into forming relationships based on love and service, not hierarchy and power, but inclusive and available to all. It was an invitation to belonging. Belonging to a community starts with a flash of recognition, an intuition of connection. When we join in, our hearts lead the way, not our minds. Jesus began with the inner life, the heart. Indeed, when he said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free, he was not speaking of a philosophical idea or a set of denominational doctrines that became so popular with believing. The truth was that the disposition of the heart was the ground of truth. Spiritual freedom results from a rightly directed heart as the self moves away from fear hatred, isolation, and greed towards love. 
True love is the connective tissue of relationship, and love needs expressing in relationships and communities. But to love, one must risk belonging. The early community of Jesus was a community of practices that shared stories that taught them how to act towards one another and what to do in the world. They healed people, offered hospitality, prayed together, challenged traditional practices and rituals, fasted, forgave, ministered to the sick, comforted the grieving and dying, and confronted unjust systems and powers. These actions produced, induced wonder, gave them courage, empowered hope, and opened up a new vision of God. By doing things together in community, they began to see everything differently. Jesus did not tell them to have faith. He pushed them out into the world to practice faith. And as they did, this practical wisdom, not an intellectual set of theological speculation and doctrine, became the guiding knowledge that comes with engagement and relationship with God. Diana Butler Bass calls this the great reversal, or reverting back from a hierarchical, top-heavy, doctrine-determination style of church to what was Jesus' original style of becoming God's community, the church. Belong, behave, believe in that order. Thus, knowing God through the person of Jesus begins with come and see, following, staying with Jesus, abiding with him, belonging to his community of faith. Then, as actions begin to shape one's identity and change one's heart, faith and a variety of other spiritual practices engender hope and new behaviors to become the door for believing. As the first line in our denomination's brief statement of faith says, in life and death, we belong to God. God is up to what God does best, making good on God's promises for all people. And this is what Jesus does in his ministry. Jesus himself begins to enact God's reign. Jesus announces a fundamentally different way of belonging, of being human based in justice, righteousness, and peace, rather than the culture's way of oppression and exploitation of the weak by the strong. Jesus calls people to follow him to a new life's work, to be fishers of people. Without comments or questions, those called abandon the tools of their trade and follow him. They probably had no idea what fishers of people even means at this point in the story, but they do know that Jesus sees something in them, something of value and worth. And they see something in him too. They identify with Jesus as beloved family members. They see that Jesus' call invites, empowers choices they didn't even know they had. 
They have no idea what they will do or where they will go, but they know for certain that Jesus is calling them to be his disciples, and they trust that the rest will become clear in time. It will come in time through their relationship. It will come in time through their belonging to a community of faith and support. They realized that they were made for something beyond the work they were raised in. So they leave everything behind to follow to a place where they would find their greatest sense of fulfillment, meaning, and purpose. They leave behind the promise of a steady income in a successful family business, things that have bound them like a net. They leave behind a close-knit family, a father mentioned by name three times in our passage, who in love has raised and trained them to be part of the family business, a true sacrifice for all who depended on them. Jesus creates social dislocation by placing the challenge of the kingdom ahead of family and work loyalties. Following Jesus involved a break from the powers that be, the wealthy and the government, and entering into a new power, that power called the kingdom of heaven. Following Jesus may be difficult and painful with no clear picture of how things will be in the end, but the change is worth it always and in all ways. Discipleship means following Jesus, getting behind him and going wherever he leads. By following the call and being a fisher for people, it not only brings them into relationship with Jesus, it becomes about belonging to a community of believers who have seen the light shine in the darkness as well and have dropped everything to follow. Jesus knew that the skills they had as fishermen would be easily translated into skills they could use in the fishing for people business. Because of the long hours and the hard work, fishermen loved what they did. They were dedicated to it, and they had to be patient. They had to have experience, be willing to learn from others and share their knowledge. They had to know how to mend nets and face disappointment from an empty catch. And they had to be able to sit, listen, observe the depths, and be contemplative for long periods of time. They also had to be strategic, use the most effective tools available, and practice sustainable methods. But most of all, they had to be committed knowing where the fish were, in schools, belonging together, waiting to be fed. Jesus knew that these challenges would help them to use their best fishing techniques and skills to bring new human fish into the school of faith and belonging. As Jesus walked up and down Galilee, everything about him radiated the fullness of God. When people followed Jesus, something happened. They became powerful as they stayed in relationship with him. They could see and experience the light he had to offer, the light that frees captive people from the darkness by dispelling 
any anxiety the darkness provokes. The light that relieves the anxious fear of the darkness, even if it is still dark around you and the light seems far away. For just being able to see a glimpse of light is comforting when you are surrounded by darkness and no hope of escape. The light will ultimately not only dispel the fear of the darkness, but the darkness itself. It is God's presence that is the light. God is always with us, a light shining in the darkness. And Jesus is the source and revelation of that light. And it is our ministry as individuals and as the church community to be light bearers of a new order in our times of danger, threat, and oppression all around us. Will we rediscover and recommit to our call to follow and belong in the context of our community and larger world? Will we be passionate and love what we do, never tiring of the routine, the hours, the work, the empty net days, the obedience to the task of faith in a world of unfaith? Will we risk being light bearers to a corrupt, oppressive, socio-political economic system? Will we be contemplative and devote large amounts of our time to prayer, meditation, and inner reflection, not just individually, but as a group, a church community? Will we be ready to respond to the prompting of Holy Spirit in a moment's ripple and move in any direction the human fish are swimming in? Do we know how to work with others in cooperation, be strategic and visionary in our efforts, sharing our successes, commiserating and learning from our failures, supporting one another on the sunny days and in the midst of the dark storms. Do we know what is best for the human fish we seek? The environment, the business, the larger economy, and the people wanting the good news we have to share. Will you bring your fishing rod or net, or perhaps even get in the water and swim along with them in order to invite them to come and see, follow and belong? Then share your faith and the good news you have found from following. Jesus says to us, to, Jesus says to us each and every day, to every one of us, follow me to the light. Amen.